the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. War hits close to home. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. We'll begin in the Middle East, where the first U.S. fatalities have been confirmed since the start of the Gaza War between Israel and Hamas. Reporter Jennifer Griffin begins our coverage from the Pentagon. We have not been this close to regional war in the Middle East since 1973 and the Yom Kippur War. Three American soldiers killed in an overnight drone strike by Iran-backed militants in Jordan. Military affairs analyst Jeff McCausland. These attacks are linked to the ongoing war in the Gaza Strip and U.S. support for Israel. It's believed that the perpetrators of the attack is a group known as Qatab Hizbalah or KH that operates in both Iraq and Syria. Former U.S. Army General Dana Pitar. How was a drone able to attack our forces in Jordan? Uh, without being shot down. I'm surprised that the drone was even able to get through. The soldiers died while asleep in their barracks. Over 30 other Americans injured in the attack. Correspondent Keir Simmons. Iran is attempting to distance itself from this attack, saying it does not send orders to what it calls resistance groups. But an Iranian proxy is being blamed for the killing of three Americans here in Jordan, risking the kind of escalation between Iran and the U.S. has long been feared. President Biden vows the U.S. will retaliate. White House spokesman John Kirby. We are not looking for a war with Iran. We're not looking to escalate the conflict in the region. He said we'll respond. We uh, we absolutely will. We'll do it at a time and in a manner of our choosing. There have been 160 attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East since the Israeli-Hamas war began. The U.S. has paused its financial support of the U.N.'s Palestinian Relief Agency in Gaza. It's because 12 12 U.N. employees at that agency actively supported the October 7th Hamas terror attack. Here's reporter Deborah Pata in Tel Aviv. The suspension of funding could not have come at a worse time. Gaza is on the brink of famine. For the more than 2 million Palestinians in Gaza who depend on that aid, the cuts are potentially crippling. Those U.N. workers accused of providing weapons to Hamas and even taking part in at least one kidnapping. A new bipartisan border security deal between the White House and Senate lawmakers could be unveiled this week. Correspondent Christian Benavidez. The deal would require Homeland Security reject migrants when there are spikes in crossings, raise the standard for asylum seekers, and expand fast-track deportations. Oklahoma Senator James Langford says the deal gives the president new powers. This is a new authority to say when we can no longer detain and deport when we can't process the people and actually make a decision right there at the border then we'll actually turn those folks back around to Mexico and say we can no longer do this. Speaker Mike Johnson predicts the deal is dead on arrival in the House. It's opposed as well by former President Trump. His allies argue the border bill is an election year gimmick designed to make it look like Mr. Biden is tough on illegal immigration. My position is he has every tool at his disposal right now to secure the border. They're just the 
party of open borders now. That's the problem. House Republicans have announced two articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for his response to the crisis at the border. Texas Congresswoman Myra Flores. Just last month alone, we had over 300,000 illegal crossings into the United States. We've never seen anything like this before. The GOP alleges Mayorkas committed high crimes and misdemeanors through willful and systemic refusal to comply with the law. George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley disagrees. The fact is impeachment is not for being a bad cabinet member or even being a bad person. There's a danger to this. Once you cross the Rubicon and start to remove cabinet members because they're not doing a good job. And right. Mayorkas is clearly not doing a good job. But it's the job that President Biden apparently likes. He's carrying out Joe Biden's policies. For the record, there's only been one cabinet member in U.S. history ever impeached. That happened way back in the 1870s. Abortion is viewed as a top issue of President Biden as he gears up for his re-election bid. Good luck with that, Joe Biden, because the reality is pro-life is the future of this country, and you're not going to win advocating for the killing of babies. Live action President Lila Rose. Roe v. Wade, it being overturned, it helped save 32,000 little boys and girls from being killed by abortion. The last study done, 32,000 boys and girls were born because Roe v. Wade was overturned. More than 20 states have enacted abortion restrictions since the overturn of Roe two summers ago. Two climate change protesters in Paris, France are in hot water after splashing soup on the glass barrier that protects the Mona Lisa. The incident happened Sunday at the Louvre, where the 500-year-old painting by Leonardo da Vinci hangs behind bulletproof glass. Those environmentalists were apparently demanding healthy and sustainable food. Tax season has arrived. You can start filing your federal income tax returns today. Business analyst Jill Schlesinger. The IRS once again reminds us that filing electronically and using direct deposit is the fastest way to get a refund. It's also a way to cut down on your error rate. A new lending tree survey finds more than a third of Americans rely on that tax refund to make ends meet. A quarter of all Americans expecting smaller refunds this year. The stage is set for Super Bowl 58. There it is! The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl! The San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs will lock horns in Las Vegas on February 11th. The Niners stormed back from the largest halftime deficit in conference championship history to beat the Detroit Lions in the NFC title game. Niners head coach Kyle Shanahan. It's been unfinished business for a while, man. Uh, Our team was set out for this for a long time. It's been a long year to get to this point, and we got it done today. It was hard at the beginning, but the character we have on our team, the type of guys we have, we can't wait to get to Vegas. KC, meantime, advancing to the big game with a win over the Baltimore Ravens in the AFC Championship game. Quarterback Patrick Mahomes. We've been underdogs the last few games, um, but we never feel like underdogs. Uh, we got a lot of guys on this team that know how to win. Uh, 
Um, with playoffs came around, I knew we were going to make it happen. And uh, now we're in the Super Bowl, and the job's not done. The Chiefs are in the Super Bowl for the fourth time in five years. The Niners are hoping to win their first Super Bowl since 1995. Randy Snavely will have more on Sunday's games coming up in sports. Also ahead on the Noon Report today, farming fatalities in Pennsylvania, racial reconciliation at church, and flooding problems near Olean. Well, good afternoon to all. I'm Kevin Williams looking at a pretty quiet but fairly cloudy week ahead. I'll have the details in the complete forecast in just a few minutes. See you in about 10. Okay, Kevin, we'll see you then. A boil water advisory has just been lifted for Mansfield, Pennsylvania. Tests have come back negative for disease-causing organisms. The Mansfield Municipal Water Authority had been warning residents since Friday to boil their water due to filtration issues at the water treatment plant. The all-clear was given around 8.30 this morning. Water woes continue for western New York. Meteorologists Paul Hare with WGRZ in Buffalo. Currently a flood warning in effect for Tonawanda Creek right in the rapids area towards the reservation. That goes until 10 p.m. Monday. Also in the Allegheny River, we do have a flood warning as well. That does not go into place until 10 p.m. tonight and it lasts until 1 a.m. Tuesday. Minor flooding is expected through the first half of tomorrow for the city of Olean and surrounding suburbs in New York's southern tier. A 44-year-old man drowned yesterday when his kayak flipped over in Sealy Creek in the town of Southport, New York. That's not far from Elmira. The victim was kayaking with a couple of friends at the time. He was taken by ambulance to Arnett Ogden Hospital, but paramedics could not revive him. The two other kayakers made it safely to shore. Separate farming accidents have claimed two lives in Pennsylvania. Back on Saturday, Saturday, a 16-year-old boy tragically died when a tractor rolled on top of him in a field in Rush Township, that's in Northumberland County, and then yesterday, a 69-year-old Columbia County man died when the tractor he was on rolled over and pinned him underneath. Those tractor fatalities happened about 30 miles apart from each other. Pennsylvania politicians are joining forces to loosen restrictions on nurse practitioners. Republican State Senator Camera Bartolotta says this will help ease PA's physician shortage. A nurse practitioner who wants to continue doing what they do best can't find a physician willing to have a collaborative agreement with them. She's sponsoring a bill to free NPs from the collaborative agreements now required for them to fully practice medicine. We have 18,000 nurse practitioners right now and they could tomorrow start working without a collaborative agreement on their own. These nurse practitioners are highly trained, highly qualified. Many of them have masters and doctorates in their field of care. This spring's total eclipse of the sun is causing hotel rooms to go fast in western New York. Uh, that uh, solar eclipse is uh, happening April 8th, and Buffalo is in the path of totality. We're very much more concerned about the safety of people because in some of these destinations, their roadways just become a parking lot where people just stop on the throughway and watch the uh, eclipse actually take place. And so um, that's something that we're very concerned about because of all of the people that will be coming to Buffalo and Erie County and all of 
southwestern New York. Should be quite a show. That's Patrick Kaler with Visit Buffalo Niagara. He says hotel rooms in the Queen City are going for as much as $800 a night due to the amount of people coming to western New York to see the solar eclipse. In just a few days, those of you who live in New York's 26th congressional district will not have any representation in Congress. That's because Congressman Brian Higgins is resigning on Friday to become the new president of the Shays Performing Arts Center. The Democrats said back in November he was stepping down due to the partisan nature of Congress. It'll be up to Governor Hochul to select the date for a special election to fill Higgins' seat. Church leaders in the Rochester suburb of Pittsford, New York, hosted an interfaith service Sunday to draw attention to a major problem in our worship services these days, and that would be a lack of color. Martin Luther King did not live and die for us to just celebrate his birthday. He lived because he wanted to change America, not just for black America, but for all Americans. And one of the things he said was, Sunday is the most segregated hour in America. Kevin Beckford is founder of the MLK Living the Dream series. For me, I'm going to die before this problem is solved. I know that. So I picked one cup. It's called Pittsford, the most segregated town in our county. I had an 87-year-old woman get up and talk about where she was when Martin Luther King was murdered and how her entire floor was cheering about his death and his murder. And she says it's changing white people, not just African-Americans. Beckford says there will never be racial reconciliation in the culture if it doesn't start first in the church. Organizers of the Interfaith Service say it's a great way to kick off Black History Month, which begins Thursday. Nearly a thousand people attended a gun safety course Sunday at the Kodak Center in Rochester. Chad Streb of Penfield explains why he took part. For me, it's not so much having the firearm, it's learning how to be safe with it. The eight-hour gun safety course was put on by the firing pin in Bergen, New York. It's a myriad of topics, gun handling, interacting with law enforcement, what's going to happen when you use your firearm or if you use your firearm for self-defense. Make that Bergen, New York. That there was gun safety trainer Brandon Lewis. Last year, the governor passed or, you know, helped pass a new bill that requires 18 hours of training for someone to get their pistol permit, which is a financial burden that a lot of people just cannot swing. So we wanted to bring this permit class as cost-effectively as we could to as many people as we could in the city. The Concealed Carry Improvement Act denies licensed gun owners from carrying in sensitive places like schools or hospitals. A freak accident on the ice means a change for young hockey players. USA Hockey is making it mandatory for players under 18 to wear neck laceration protection. The new rule will go into effect August 1st. It comes after American Adam Johnson died when a skate blade sliced his neck during a game in England three months ago. Two years ago, a 16-year-old Connecticut high school player died when a skate cut his neck during the game. The National Hockey League has no such requirement for neck guards. Correspondent Wendy Gillette speaking of sports. The Buffalo Bills have made an interim coach full-time. The Buffalo Bills announced yesterday Joe Brady has been promoted to offensive coordinator on a full-time basis. The Bills were 5-5 five and five and coming off a Monday night football loss to the Denver Broncos when the franchise fired offensive coordinator 
Ken Dorsey and applied the interim label to Brady back on November 14th. The Bills then won six of their seven games before a 27-24 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Divisional Round game at Highmark Stadium. D. Haley, Family Life News. All right, D. thank you. More sports next. It's the two-minute drill as the noon report continues on Family Life. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the defending champs are back as Kansas City knocked out Baltimore 17-10 in the AFC Championship game yesterday. It is the fourth time in the last five years that the Chiefs will play in the Super Bowl. Turnovers really cost the Ravens in this one. They fumbled the ball on the one-yard line as Zay Flowers was diving into the end zone for what looked like a certain touchdown. Then Lamar Jackson got picked off in the end zone, which ended up sealing the deal for Kansas City. Both of those turnovers coming in the fourth quarter. In the game, Patrick Mahomes was 30 for 39 on his pass attempts, good for 241 yards and a touchdown. Travis Kelsey caught the touchdown pass and had 10 other receptions for a total of 116 yards. Kelsey passed Jerry Rice for the most receptions in playoff history. He now has 156 catches, although he does still trail Rice in playoff touchdown receptions and receiving yards. Kansas City's opponent in Super Bowl 58 will be the San Francisco 49ers who stormed back from a 24-7 halftime deficit and they beat the Detroit Lions 34-31. For the 49ers leading the charge once again was Christian McCaffrey totaling 132 all-purpose yards. He scored two touchdowns. Brock Purdy completed 20-31 passes for 267 yards and a score. He also got picked off once. So it will be a rematch of Super Bowl 54 on February 11th in Las Vegas. Winners on the hardwood last night, the Pacers, Hawks, Pistons, Magic, and Bulls. St. Louis and Seattle, winners on the ice. And Yannick Sinner, who upset Novak Djokovic in the semis, is your Australian Open champion. He won a five-set thriller over third-seeded Daniil Medvedev. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy. Still to come on the Noon Report, drone strike in Jordan kills three Americans. Possible breakthrough on new border security bill, plus Christianity and the pop culture. What can people of faith learn from Taylor Swift? We'll talk to an expert after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. With the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. A common claim by those who advocate for so-called gender-affirming care is that the effects of the treatments, especially puberty blockers, are reversible. These drugs are simply a way, advocates claim, for gender-confused teens to push pause on puberty and buy more time so they can find out who they really are. At any time, they can just stop taking the drugs and resume puberty without any consequences. One group that's long made this claim is the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, or WPATH, the leading transgender medical organization in the world. In its standards of care. WPATH claims that puberty-blocking drugs, which are supposed to reduce distress stemming from physical changes that occur when puberty begins, are fully reversible. However, recently, in a video leaked from WPATH's September 2022 certification seminar, the truth came out. According to WPATH-certified pediatric endocrinologist Dr. Daniel Metzger, puberty-blocking drugs 
aren't as reversible or non-invasive as advocates have claimed. In fact, they interrupt teens' physical developments in ways that cannot be reversed. For example, puberty-blocking drugs decrease bone density. Metzger also noted that the effect of puberty-blocking drugs on brain development remains largely unknown. It's notable that Dr. Metzger admits all of this at a WPATH conference. Well, thankfully, there are signs that the tide is turning here. WPATH membership shrank last year by about 60%. Let's pray that more people are choosing truth over ideology. And to learn more about the harms of gender ideology and the facts that these treatments are irreversible, check out our latest Breakpoint Forum. It was called The Real Facts About Gender Ideology, and it featured child and adolescent psychiatrist Dr. Miriam Grossman and Dr. Stephen Gersovich. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Jared Hayden. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Thank you, John. Outside next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. As we head through the afternoon, it's cloudy with some flurries around. Could be a grizzled bit or a spot of uh, some sprinkles. High temps, mainly 30s. Rather cloudy tonight, low temps, 20s. Tomorrow and Wednesday, plenty of clouds, a few sunny breaks. High temperatures tomorrow, 30s to near 40. And on a Wednesday in the upper 30s and lower 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm your host, Bob Price, and here's what's happening. Monday, the 29th of January, tensions are escalating in the Middle East after three American soldiers were killed in a drone strike in Jordan. More than 30 other soldiers were injured. An Iran-backed militant group responsible, reporter Ed O'Keefe. Those injured and killed were in sleeping quarters when the armed drone struck. Samantha Vinograd is a former counterterrorism official in the Biden administration. It is critical that the administration respond quickly and responsibly. White House spokesman John Kirby on what that response might look like. We're reviewing our options right now about what the right next step here is and what the what the response needs to look like. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we're now uh, in different territory here. Retired four-star Army General Jack Keane. Iran doesn't want war with the United States, but Iran's strategic objective, and that clearly is they want to dominate and control the Middle East, drive the United States out of the Middle East, and weaken Israel to the point where people don't want to live there anymore. I mean, the administration has got to wake up. They're saying, well, we don't want to expect into a regional conflict. The regional conflict is here. There have been 160 attacks on U.S. troops in the Middle East since the Israeli-Hamas war started. The White House and a group of U.S. senators are on the verge of striking a deal on a bipartisan immigration bill. Reporter God Venegas. Congress has been working on a deal for months now, and we're also now seeing President Biden take a tougher stance on the border, saying he would potentially shut it down if it means locking in a deal with Republicans to get that aid for Ukraine and an immigration deal. The possible border deal comes as House Republicans unveil articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for his handling of the border crisis. Eight million encounters, 300 on the terror watch list, 200 million people dead now thanks to fentanyl poisoning. Texas Congressman Mike McCall says that has been the legacy of an open borders policy. That is a dereliction of duty and breach of the public trust is sufficient to impeach. The House could vote later this week on those articles of impeachment. U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand is calling on the White House to roll back the federal prohibition on cannabis. Marijuana has been classified as a Schedule I controlled substance since the 1970s. 
1970s, putting it in the same category as heroin. During a press conference Sunday, Gillibrand called on Attorney General Merrick Garland and the DEA to deschedule marijuana. The senator believes descheduling marijuana from Schedule One classification will allow scientists more opportunities to research medicinal uses of the drug. Paul DeCastro, New York. A man named Terry Martin who stole a pair of ruby red slippers that were worn by Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. That man will be sentenced today in Minnesota. Martin, who's 76 and in poor health, pleaded guilty in October. He's in hospice for advanced COPD. And despite a lengthy criminal history, prosecutors agreed to recommend no jail time. A recent investigation shows the Federal Bureau of Prisons in crisis. Experts say corrections officers are struggling with staffing issues and a public perception problem. Bureau of Prisons Director Colette Peters explains why she thinks inmates deserve compassion. 95% of them are going to come back to our community someday, and I want them to be productive, tax-paying citizens who no longer commit crimes. The U.S. federal prison system has 157,000 inmates in 122 prisons nationwide. Ever wonder what the average age is in these United States? Well, wonder no longer. The U.S. Census Bureau says it's 39. Maine is the oldest state with an average age of 45. Utah is the youngest with an average age of 32. New York's is 40. Pennsylvania, 41. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. Lessons from popular culture for faithful folks. Today we talk with Paul Acey of Plugged In, the entertainment reviews of Focus on the Family. Paul, what do you appreciate about straddling that line between Christian culture and the secular culture? Christians have always been countercultural. We've always been against the norm. For the last several decades, I think we, we sort of got lured in as, as Christians, as conservatives, to thinking that society, that culture should reflect. People would go to church. They would have strong family values. And, you know, you look at the, the old 1950s and 60s sitcoms. They were all very stable families, very traditional families. But when you look at society over a, a longer term, that was sort of the exception, not the rule. We know that we live in a fallen world and we have to make our way in that fallen world. We have to hold true to our values. We have to navigate this very confusing culture and be able to, to look at it and say, you know what? I understand what they're saying, but I don't agree with it. The biggest stories of pop culture lately, you look at that always through a Christian biblical worldview. What can the Christian audience who is eavesdropping on our conversation know about the year of Taylor Swift? <laughs> yeah, man, I tell you what, it has definitely been Taylor Swift's year. We are all just sort of living in her world, it feels like right now. Taylor Swift, definitely, I'm sure that so many of your listeners are familiar with her. There are probably some listeners' kids who actually know all the lyrics to all of her songs. The thing that amazed me, really, was when she decided to release a concert movie. When she announced that she was going to do that, every single movie that it plugged in we were planning to cover 
canceled their scheduled release date and moved to another date because they didn't want to compete head to head with Taylor Swift. Even watching football, you can't necessarily get away from her because she's always there when you're watching the the Kansas City Chiefs. Is there anything that we should think about as far as pop culture and what that means that one celebrity can be just so dominant? Yeah. When you look at Taylor Swift in her power, she is very influential. A lot of young girls listen to every word she says and believe that if Taylor Swift says it, it must be true. It must be right. And that can be a kind of scary place as moms and dads who are sort of trying to help their kids navigate this world. That can be a a fairly scary place to, to, to go. There's some good things about her. There's some bad things about her, just as it is with all of us. And we can never actually hold these pop idols as true idols. We need to be very careful about that. One other question about the highlights and trends of 2023. Taylor Swift was big. The Barbie movie was big. I've heard it that the past year was the year of the girl. <laughs> is is there anything that our Christian audience should know about what that means of female empowerment? What is pop culture telling us about the reality around us? Boy, what a great question. And again, it's really a mixed bag when you look at these these messages of empowerment. That's really healthy for our daughters to think about. We want them to be appreciated for everything they bring to the table as people. And I, I, I do believe that that sometimes society has has made certain people one-dimensional or two-dimensional when we are so we have so many dimensions, so many, so many things that we can offer our family, our friends, our societies. At the same time, we do need to be careful with that. We need to be mindful that as empowered as we may all want to be, the real power in our lives should always, always be God. And so often, what we need to be doing is really sacrificing for others. We need to be making ourselves less, not more. We need to be looking out for the needs of other people around us. And so often, when you look at these stories, so much of our culture is really about what we can do for us how we can achieve more, how we can be happy. And I think that that's really important to to keep in mind. It's about loving God. It's about loving other people. It's about helping people on their way. It's a unique combination of opportunity and cautions being in the culture, but not of the culture. Our guest today, Paul Acey, is the associate editor of Plugged In, the podcast, the blog, and the radio program from Focus on the Family. I'm Greg Gillespie, Family Life News. All right, Greg, great feature. Thank you. You can download our conversation on Christianity and the pop culture. Lessons learned from Taylor Swift at FamilyLife.org. A very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast on the midday weather map. The storm system that produced snow and rain here yesterday and last night is now moving well off the New England coast and away from us. But plenty of low-level moisture that will keep clouds locked in much of the time over the next several days. A little pesky precipitation, sure, but no big issues are ahead in terms of any uh, heavy storm systems uh, for the time being, at least. As we head through the afternoon, it's cloudy with some flurries around. Could be a drizzle bit or a spot of uh, some sprinkles. 
High temps, mainly 30s. Rather cloudy tonight, low temps, 20s. Tomorrow and Wednesday, plenty of clouds, a few sunny breaks. High temperatures tomorrow, 30s to near 40. And on a Wednesday, in the upper 30s and lower 40s. Thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon, if you're looking for something to do today, we've got something that really pops. Most packaging should be seen and not heard, except maybe for that small, iconic packaging made to protect and pop, though not necessarily in that order. Today is a day we celebrate this invaluable gift to the packing world as it's National Bubble Wrap Day. It wasn't always packing material. Two radio engineers created bubble wrap by first sealing two shower curtains together, creating a smattering of air bubbles, and they thought it would make great wallpaper. When sales didn't materialize, they sold it as greenhouse insulation. And the first instance of packing material was from the Sealed Air Corporation, and in 1961, the product evolved into the bubble wrap we know today. It's that satisfying pop, the protection for fragile stuff, the stress relief tool all rolled into one. A true un sung hero of packaging. Brian Query, Family Life News. That it is. Thank you so much for that, Brian. And just like that, we are out of time. That's the world we live in, folks. Monday, January 29th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.